0: Day six of Streak Week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. And coming up is the Greg Waddell interview for episode 161. As today officially we have hit the 100th day of the quarantine. In case anyone wants to keep track, I personally don't, but there you go. It's episode 161 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast where our special guest is Greg Waddell, the broadcasting voice of the Miami Red Hawks hockey team and formerly the public relations director for the Cincinnati Gardens. We're talking plenty of hockey, local sports, the Red Hawks, and more on episode 161. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast covering all sports in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. From Lima to the Ohio River and northern Kentucky, from eastern Indiana to Madison County and all points in between, this is your source of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast to find your favorite podcasting platform. Music created with the Splash app. Time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. And on the phone is Greg Waddell. Greg, how are you this afternoon?
1: Lee, great to talk with you on, I don't know if this is a spring day, a summer day, but it's a very mild day in June and I'll take it. No
0: humidity. That's that's great. And this weekend it's only supposed to get in the upper 70s. So beautiful weather awaits us. So definitely looking forward to that as well
1: considering everything else we've been through the last three months i will take
0: it now greg you broadcast for miami redhawks hockey you do a lot of local hockey stuff as well and formerly the public relations director for the cincinnati gardens so let's begin where are you from
1: well i actually i was born in cincinnati so i'm kind of a cincinnati kid and Graduated from Middletown High School a few years ago. We'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> in between, though, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll definitely leave it at that. In between there, though, um, my dad had the opportunity to, to get transferred around with the job that he was working, so I had a chance to live in a number of other states from about third grade through eighth grade, and, and lived in Michigan and Tennessee and Louisiana and Oklahoma. Then we made our way back to Ohio, and for the most part, been here ever since.
0: And what school did you graduate from?
1: I was at Middletown High School. So kind of a, right in between Cincinnati and Dayton, Middletown.
0: The Middies.
1: <laughs> that would be me. Yep, that's where I'm from.
0: So when did you decide that you wanted to be in the broadcasting field?
1: Well, I think um, for, for anybody from Southwest Ohio that wanted to get into broadcasting, there might be one name that probably is responsible for that for me it was marty brenneman uh and and listening to cincinnati Reds games when i was growing up and my my dream was you know as i was getting ready to go to high school was that i was going to take his job when he was ready to retire little did i know i would be waiting 40 plus years for him to (laughs) to seed that seat and so Pretty much, I, I'd say my time has probably come and gone from taking over that role. But no, definitely um, listening to Marty Burnham uh, growing up and, and calling Cincinnati Reds games and then also uh, listening to Still Stamp call Cincinnati Bengals games. Those were kind of the two guys that, that I, in the, the local area, pretty much paid the most attention to and admired most.
0: So when was your first big break and what job did you have?
1: Yeah that's that's a good question because um I mean I, I can kind of look at, at, at my radio career in, in several different phases while I was still in high school and and, and again I'm I'm old enough now that when when I was in high school we didn't have campus radio stations like a lot of the, the schools offer that now to to students so when I was in high school there was something that was called junior achievements and I had found a a Junior Achievement group just by happenstance that Junior Achievement was was essentially like a a business type of a club for high school-aged kids. And the business that I wanted to get into was radio and found a a broadcasting portion for Junior Achievement. And it was actually out of the radio station that for the longest time operated in Middletown. It was uh, AM 910 WPFB. And in fact that station is the frequency is still on the air. But they also had an FM station as well that was at one hundred five point nine Fm that was a different formats over the years, but at the time it was a mellow rock kind of a radio station. But they would let the students once a month get on the air for one hour. And I worked hard and was able to in that one hour window was probably on the air for like five minutes. But once I got that first, that first uh, taste of of being on the air, I was hooked and and knew I wanted to do it. So, so from there, um, I actually out of high school decided to go to a broadcasting school. I didn't at first think I was going to go to college. So I was looking for the quick, easy route. So I went to a broadcasting school in Dayton Mm -hmm. and from there was able to graduate and come back and work at WPFB as a 19-year-old, so my my first job in radio was at 19 years old at 910 WPFB, the AM station. At that time, it, it became country at one point. But while I when I first started, it was playing music that was like nostalgic music from the 1950s. That stuff I knew nothing about. And you know, here's this 19-year-old guy playing Frank Sinatra and Doris Day and and music I had no business talking about, but <laughs> as radio people will do they try to make it sound informative and that was kind of my first big break was working at uh, WPFB as a 19 year old.
0: You know one of my previous uh, guests I had on Mike Hartsock he got his start at uh, the Middletown station as well. So Yeah
1: there quite a few uh, alumni that have worked in broadcasting in Cincinnati and Dayton made their way through those halls at, at one point or another and I, you know, it, it was just such a great opportunity because it was a, a family-owned station, so different than the broadcasting industry of 2020. Back you know, in the 1980s when I was in this, it was a family-owned radio station. Now, that also meant we didn't make very much money. Not like a lot of people are making a lot of money doing that now, but it, it afforded you the opportunity to be able to work and, and, and hone what you wanted to try to do. And I, I can remember I was, you know, getting a chance to be DJ and, you know, doing some of these nostalgic music-type shows. But we also had some sports. Um, they would broadcast the Middletown High School football games. I was the board operator for that. But, you know, every once in a while they would let me, you know, crack open the mic and maybe do some score updates and you know, throw me a bone here or there. So, so yeah, my car track definitely started there. Um, yeah. I wouldn't put myself in my cart socks (laughs) in in his lane, but but one of those alumni, yeah, that came out of the Middletown station. And it's
0: such a shame it's not the same, uh, that Middletown station, anymore, but it used to be back in the day, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, um, you know, for a lot of people that have followed broadcasting in the Cincinnati and Dayton area probably know, the building that that housed the the radio station and the transmitter, the antenna, everything – was right off of Central avenue in middletown, kind of in between Central avenue and, and Brill Boulevard kind of that that little area and you could see the antenna for miles it was almost in the backyard of Middletown high school but it was just this, this old farmhouse that that had the studios and the transmitter and everything and it was just a different a different era of radio and, and you're right you know it, it is a shame that that's gone in fact, I know uh, john keyswater who the longtime uh, radio and tv media writer in cincinnati um uh, for the newspaper and, and now he's writing for com. he uh, a few years and he's actually from middletown as well he had gone back to that building and this is i don't know two or three years ago about 2017 and the building was dilapidated it was you know old and run down and and they were getting ready, I believe, to come in and tear the building down. And I saw some of those pictures. And, and it kind of made the heart hurt a little bit when you, you know you spent a lot of time in that building many, many years ago. But time marches on.
0: Yeah, I understand that feeling, too. I mean, Hair Arena looks like uh, oh, it might be oh. torn down, too. And do you see some of the latest pictures of all the graffiti I- and the tornado damage?
1: Yeah, you know what somebody posted that. I just saw that within the last couple of days and I, I can't remember where I saw that, but I, I saw some of those pictures and it was it was heartbreaking because we'll we'll talk about coming up here in a little bit, but one of the other jobs that I've done over the years was I got a chance to work at Cincinnati Gardens for a long time and we went through the same thing about four years ago where the building was bought, sold and, and demolished. And seeing the pictures of Hare Arena, a building that I have spent a lot of time in as well, watching a lot of hockey games and and concerts and other events, seeing that sitting the way that it is, just it tears your heart up. I, it, the building deserves better, and I know it's an inanimate object, but there's so many people who spent a lot of time of their life in that building. Look at it differently than just a building. You know, it, it's somewhere where a lot of people grew up, and I hate to see things like that.
0: And it wasn't just for hockey. It was for concerts. Uh, basketball was there a little bit. Indoor football. Uh, soccer was yep. there. It's like it, yep. it held a little bit of everything during its time.
1: Well, and in those buildings, I mean, the Hara Arena or, or the Cincinnati Gardens were from a, a long-ago era. But the civic pride that existed in those buildings, I mean, what Hara what Arena meant to the city of Dayton for so long, long before the Better Center ever came along, everything took place out of her Arena. And you're right, concerts, circuses, uh, you know, ice shows. Uh, I can remember I took my, my son and my niece, you know, back in the late 90s to see Sesame Street Live. <laughs> you know, they had those kind of shows, monster truck shows. You know, so all those different types of events were – were in those community buildings, and there was so much civic pride that people looked at those buildings. And then, of course, through the years, they become older, and people become jaded and like all the latest amenities, and they forget the charm and the simplicity of what those buildings meant because they were built at a time that was so much more simple than than where we're at now with technology and and all the the modern amenities that you get in, in building now, like. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily put Netter Center or even uh, the Heritage Bank Center down in Cincinnati, the Riverfront Coliseum, in that category. But you know, you go to the Nationwide Arena in Columbus, or or even Value City Arena; those are the modern kind of arenas that people are, they expect that kind of everything that comes with those kinds of buildings. Now they expect those amenities. And they the the hair arenas and the Cincinnati Gardens, unfortunately, kind of lost their charm. And
0: that is a shame
1: it is. Oh, I'm right there with you. I, I, and I think a lot of the broadcasting people, you know, and this is more of a broadcasting podcast, but, you know, I, I think people that, that got a chance to broadcast and that understand the charm of, of what those little buildings had, you know, like Hera or Cincinnati yard, the intimacy of what those buildings provided. So certainly wasn't the technology, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> nope. And you're absolutely spot on. It was, I got to broadcast the last four mm-hmm. years of hockey at Hera Arena and, Oh, wow, that view from the press row—that was—that's something. <laughs> that was something.
1: Uh, I had broadcast games in there as well, and hockey games in there as well. You felt like you were part of the action. You were so close, but yet you always felt safe as well. So it wasn't <laughs> that it was dangerous. It was just—it was great. It was a great vantage point. I loved it. Loved it.
0: Absolutely. Now let's swing over a little more uh, positive side of things. How did you get from? point a to point b in terms of working up to the cincinnati gardens and the miami hockey jobs
1: now that's uh if if anybody is familiar well if they're listening to a broadcasting podcast they are listen to the words from the the theme song from wkrp in cincinnati (laughs) up and down the dial i i am i am that i i've i'm uh Somebody that, that has been at, at so many—I can't even count. I, I probably should have sat down and counted how many different radio stations I've worked at over the years. But between both Cincinnati and Dayton, I've been on probably the majority of the the radio signals. Definitely the AM radio signals from both of those towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I my my very first radio job. Thinking back um, after WPFB, I. Kind of the point A to point B, it's, it's definitely not. It's more point A to point Z with every other letter in between about as far apart as you can possibly be. I I worked um, after, and let me back it up after the broadcasting school and working at WPFD. I decided that I wanted to go back to college, and so I ended up at Bowling Green State University, and they've got a great broadcasting program there. So I ended up graduating from BGSU, and so that was where. I probably made my most connections and, and met so many people because it's similar to the experience on air that I got at WPFB, in Middletown at Bowling Green. There were so many different broadcasting majors that have ended up down in the Cincinnati and Dayton area that it's, it's crazy. In fact, one of my roommates, my senior year in college, with Scott Sloan, who is still on air on 700 WLW down in Cincinnati, does his talk show. We were roommates at BG back uh, in the late '80s. But there's so many different people. I, I don't know if you remember Gil Herrick. He used to work at Channel Seven as a sports anchor for a while. He, he was... was at Bowling Green the same time I was there. Okay. Um, Dean Detmer Oh, boy, he worked at Channel 22 for a while. He did this some on-air, and he actually ended up as a general manager for a while at Channel 22. Uh, another guy, Dave Metzger, was doing sales at uh, 22 and 45 in Dayton. Uh, and then on-air people down in Cincinnati, um, a couple guys that worked for Gary Burbank back in the days were Bowling Green alum. Uh, Lisa Braun, I don't know if you know Lisa, she is the social media I mean, she's just the absolute expert in social media with the Cincinnati Reds. She was at BG while I was there. So, a lot of us made our way through Bowling Green. And after Bowling Green, uh, my first job was actually broadcasting for a hockey team in Michigan. I moved to Saginaw, Michigan okay. and broadcast for a, a year and a half in Saginaw, Michigan for the Saginaw Hawks was the team. They were a farm team of the, the Chicago Blackhawks. And there were some great players that went through Saginaw that made it to Chicago and made it to the NHL. So that was kind of my first taste, but it was also my first taste of the unstableness of the broadcasting industry, whether it was for a team or working for a radio station. And the team folded after the year and a half that I was there. So I came back to, to home, back to Ohio, Southwest Ohio and to Middletown and got a job working First job was working, actually, at uh, 1410 WIMG, <laughs> so I was on wing radio for a short time, uh, again, doing on-air DJ stuff, and you know, playing, it was an oldie station, so I was playing Elvis, and the Beatles, and you know all the music from the 50s and the 60s, and so that was fun, did that for a short time, then ended up, actually, on uh, 1290 WHIO, and I was on, on WHIO for, shoot, about five years, I was... I did a little bit of everything with Larry Handy, and Larry was just a, a great teacher and mentor for me in my really early professional years of working in radio, and, and he taught me so much. You know, I, I got a chance to, to do sports updates on the weekends, but I would board up for Larry for UD football and basketball games. I would do the scoreboard updates and the intermissions um, for a short time. I believe it was, I think it was only for one year, uh, you had um, a guy saying to be the broadcaster from Ohio State, uh, now Paul Keels, was working at Cincinnati, but he left Cincinnati, came up and for one year, did UD football with Larry. So I was board opting for them, doing football and basketball games and produced talk shows. Uh, A guy named Kent Voss was a big talk show guy for a couple of years. In Dayton and I was his I, it was I was called the imaginary producer because he would always talk to me but I was never on air so he would he would talk to me through the two-way radio that we had from his studio to where I was at in the control room but you could never hear me so I would he called me the imaginary producer so so there was really a lot of jagged you know point a to point b stops along the way but after that uh Larry Larry Hanson actually, after I left WHIO in the mid-90s, um, and I went down and, and was doing some work in part-time at Cincinnati Radio Station, Larry called me back up and gave me the opportunity to be the voice of the Dayton Bombers for a few years. And this was after Lyle Steed had done Dayton Bombers. And they had just moved from Air Arena to the Nutter Center. So the very first year that the Bombers were at the Nutter Center, I got to call their games, and I did that for a couple of years. But then again, the the unstableness of of broadcasting, the team got sold. the the ownership group that owned it when they hired me sold out, and a new group came in, and of course they cleaned house. And so I was on to my next gig, and that's kind of the process that kept happening along the way. I'd work for for a year or two, get pretty comfortable, pretty stable, and then. Something out of my control would change, a a format change, an ownership change. And so, like the the song goes from WKRP, I was up and down the dial onto my next job.
0: Now, I know Scott Sloan. I I listen to his show occasionally. He does a nice job. Um, Gil. Go ahead. ahead. Gil Herrick?
1: Yeah. Oh, no. I I was going to say, yeah. Scott Scott is definitely one of those guys. He's a little bit more, he, he tried to take a satirical look at things, and he was exactly that way. As a roommate, I mean that's the kind of sense of humor that he has. He's he's just an off the wall kind of guy. You know, unfortunately, when you're on a talk station, I think you know the the news gets in the way from trying to the humorous stuff. So he he does a pretty nice job of being able to mix in you know the the humorous ways to look at things and the nonsensical way of looking at things, and you try to do that as much as as you can, but sometimes the news doesn't always allow that to continue, but. And did you remember, do you remember, Gary, being on uh, Channel 7 for many years?
0: I believe so. I think he was covering the state's football uh, title game, and I think it was the year Valley View won their last one in 97. may have been 98, but I do remember He
1: probably did. Yeah, he, he probably did because he and I actually broadcast, when we were just together at Bowling Green, we broadcast several Bowling Green football games together. And that was you know kind of our our introduction to the, the sports play-by-play world was we got to be on the campus radio station at Bowling Green doing the the Bowling Green games there. You know, and you know, there were probably friends and family listening at most. <laughs> you know, it's not like we were, you know, the rating points weren't going through the, the roof by any means, but that, that's how you you learn the job. And yeah, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was a great opportunity. And, you know, Gil and I, Actually, we traveled. I can remember we made a, a trip to Bowling Green. It was the sacrificial lamb for football to play at the University of Arizona. And got to travel out to, to Tucson and broadcast Bowling Green at a University of Arizona football game. And it was Gil and I on the, the play-by-play in color. So <laughs> it was a small world when it comes to the, the radio world in this area.
0: Whatever happened to Gill?
1: Great question. You know, I, I, I stayed in touch with him for a while. We, we would see each other at events, you know, different sporting events uh, along the way. But, boy, I am bet Gil left probably early, mid-2000s, you know, maybe 2005 or so, and lost touch with him. So I'm not sure where Gil's at these days. I know he was he was from, I believe, up near the Cleveland area. So he may have worked his way back up that direction. I'm not sure if he's still in broadcast or not. Good question.
0: Yeah, I just, I haven't heard that name in a while and it's like <laughs> whatever happened to him you
1: know yeah good 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 guy I mean just you know it was I mean as you're you're probably learning you have to be very transient when you're working in a broadcasting business and be able to wear a lot of different hats and be able to do a lot of different things and Gil and I kind of learned our cut our teeth together at Bowling Green and I went more radio while he he focused more on the TV side of things and was doing quite well for himself for the longest time.
0: Very nice. And also Lisa Braun, you mentioned, I, I haven't met her. I I know that name, but I couldn't tell you where, and you said red social media.
1: Yeah. If if you follow the reds on on Twitter or Facebook, chances are you've seen her postings and she just, she was, she was at Bowling Green the same time I was and. We're not young anymore. We, we've been in the broadcasting <laughs> business for for a few decades now. But if she was able to to leave Bowling Green and, and actually work at MTV for a while, then made her way back. She's from Cincinnati as well, and eventually uh, she worked. We worked together again uh, with Clear Channel in Cincinnati. She was doing promotions for a while, and then made her way over to the Reds, and has just been phenomenal and growing. She was just so far ahead of the game of what Twitter could be for a sports team. And and I think if you go back and look through the history of Cincinnati Reds on Twitter, so obviously we're talking the last seven, eight, nine years, Mm -hmm. she was really at the forefront of of being able to do so much and and increase the awareness that people, not only in in our area, down here in Southwest Ohio, but throughout the country and the world, if, if you wanted to follow the Reds, hop on Twitter, and you're getting getting the latest on what's going on with the Reds. Lisa Braun had something to do with that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Now, let's talk about your job with the Cincinnati Gardens. How did you wind up with that job?
1: Well, that, um, that, that kind of came about as my radio days – I, I had been on so many different radio stations, and, and I'll bet if, if you and I were to, to be able to look up all the, the AM frequencies in, in both Cincinnati and Dayton, I, I probably have been on 75% of those frequencies in some capacity or another, whether I was working for the station or through a network. But because of the the nature of broadcasting and the, the way that it was becoming more of, a corporate type of an entity versus uh, the mom and pop station that I worked for when I was in Middletown and and really at Mm -hmm. W.I.N.G. That was kind of an an old farmhouse over on East David Road. I loved working in that studio. It was just this this old, old house that was converted into a radio station. As I got to W.H.I.O. that was Cox Broadcasting and then into Cincinnati with with Clear Channel. The corporate world, it wasn't quite the same. I, I wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought that I would when I was younger. Throw in on top of that uh, marriage, kids, all the the stuff that that goes with that, and I needed something a little bit more stable. And in 2006, uh, Clear Channel had one of their downsizing situations. And at that time in Cincinnati, Clear Channel had eight radio stations. They had 4 a.m. 4 f.m. And I was pretty much I had a hand in all four of the AM stations in, in one way or another, doing sports broadcasting or sports updates or play by play for high school football games or producing talk shows, whatever it was. I was on all of those stations. They had the downsizing in November 2006. And it was kind of about that same time, within that probably that year window, that I was starting to see that kind of same turn that it was leading me to think in my mindset that I needed to kind of expand out and use you all know, the experience that I'd gotten in radio over the 20-plus years that I'd been broadcasting through all these different radio stations and, and all the different types of things that I had done, that, that I wanted to get more towards the, the PR, the media relations, and, and, and work on the other side that would help give the information to the radio stations, the TV stations. and So I had... Uh, through my connections through the radio stations, I had also been working broadcasting Cincinnati Mighty Ducks hockey games at Cincinnati Gardens and got to know a lot of the people that worked there. I got to know John Walton, who is now the broadcaster of the Washington Capitals, was their play by play guy for the Stanley Cup champion a few years ago. And then also Don Eldig, who I know you've had on, on your show as well. Yep. Don was a PR extraordinaire for the, the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. So I got to know them, and I also got to know Pete Robinson. His family was the the ownership group and the management group of the Cincinnati Gardens. So during my time working with Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, who played in the Gardens, I got to know those people. And after I left radio in 2006, the the Mighty Ducks had ended their playing days at the Gardens in 2005. So there was there was no hockey being played on a professional basis. P. Robinson brought me in with the hopes that we could resurrect hockey once again professionally at Cincinnati Gardens, and that was the hopes that the the professional hockey market in Cincinnati would kind of expand out and allow us that opportunity. But there was a, a few year window, and if you are old enough to, to know Cincinnati hockey, in the early two thousands, late nineteen nineties, early two thousands, there got to be a what they call the ice wars between the Cincinnati Cyclones and the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. And in the end, they kind of both ended up eating each other. Cyclones went out of business at the end of the 2004 season. The Mighty Ducks made it for one more year but finished up play at the end of the 2005 season. And then they folded. The Cyclones came back the following year and have never left. And the the hope was, was that, maybe as the Cyclones came back, the Gardens would be able to get hockey again. It did not happen, but it also gave me the chance to work at the Gardens and to to get a chance to to do public relations and and media relations with the events that they had at the Gardens. But by that time, as we were talking a little bit earlier, with the Gardens being a a very antiquated building with none of the the modern – technologies of even something as simple as a video board. The the scoreboard wasn't a video board when I first started working there. It it just kind of, it was the final days in the Cincinnati Gardens. And and from about 2007 to 2016, I was able to work there with the the limited events that we had, but it was getting harder and harder to, to be able to bring events into the gardens. We would have monster truck shows. We would have, bull riding and rodeo kind of events. We'd have scattered concerts here or there. For a short time, we had uh, indoor football. Uh, We had indoor soccer for a couple of years. We had the Cincinnati Commandos football team that was there. The uh, Cincinnati Kings soccer team was there. The one thing, though, that that really did develop out of all that during my time there was flat track roller derby. And this was a thing that, was, was my very first project in 2007 working with Cincinnati Gardens was with the Cincinnati roller girls. And my first thought was, Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? I'm, <laughs> I'm working in a roller derby with, with these women who every one of them probably could have taken me down and, and beat me senseless because they were great athletes. They were in great shape and they were just athletes that hmm. the, the, first few years of the roller derby they were trying to kind of get their identity and there was a lot of the campiness of the roller derby that was involved with they had these alter ego names of <laughs> um, you know funny nicknames that had something to do maybe with the girls the, the women's personalities so they would have an offshoot of their names but it was fun and we developed the, the cincinnati roller girls into something that became a, an event where we we attracted upwards of five thousand people to come and watch roller derby, at Cincinnati Gardens. And it it was an anomaly for a few years where you know, we were annually or regularly putting in, they had maybe five or six events a year. They would put anywhere in there from three to 5,000 people for a couple of years. And that started trending downward a little bit and it kind of, it didn't fade away. They, they were the one main client event that was, during my whole tenure at Cincinnati Gardens, 2007 through 2016. In fact, the the Roller Girls have the distinction of being the very last paid-ticketed event at Cincinnati Gardens. And I know that's something that, and I was just being in touch with with a lot of the, the management folks with Cincinnati Roller Girls, that's something they're very proud of, that they were able to make something that was a very campy, alternative type of a sport, but made it work and made it work for a number of years. They're still they're still playing. They they were supposed to play this year at the Centos Center in at the at Xavier University. But COVID as it did so many things got in the way of that and their first year at Centos Center did not happen. But you know, hopefully they will be able to bounce back next year and like like every sport, you know, we're hoping it goes back sooner rather than later. Hopefully they'll be able to kind of resurrect things next year after a long year quarantine break. But so that was kind of, you know, in a nutshell, my, my nine years at, at Cincinnati Gardens. It was an experience that was, for me professionally, I, I would say the most rewarding because, you know, like we were talking about here Arena, Cincinnati Gardens is a building that so many people who grew up in the Cincinnati area went to so many events there. And you know, they had you know, everything from, you know, professional hockey. They had NBA basketball up until yeah. their early 1970s, you know, the Cincinnati Royals played there. Uh, the Beatles had a concert there. Elvis Presley had concerts there. Michael Jackson of the Jackson 5 had concerts there. Madonna. I mean, there were so many great musical acts that came through there. You can go back into the, to the 50s. You know, Chubby Checker and, uh, you know, any of the the early early 50s rock star Bill Haley and the Comets, they did, you know, musical shows, their concerts there. So so many different events. Uh, Xavier University called Cincinnati Gardens home for a number of years, and some of the the greatest college basketball that took place in Cincinnati happened between the Xavier Musketeers and the Cincinnati Bearcats Mm -hmm. at Cincinnati Gardens in the cross Town Shootout. It was just uh, a, a wonderful arena. And for me, growing up in Cincinnati for most of my life and having gone to many events there, getting a chance to work there and, and actually, in a kind of crazy, weird way, work there until the the last operating days is something I cherish. And it was it was rewarding. It was heartbreaking to see the, the building close and to be there to to help clean it out, to, to auction off everything that was memorabilia that was still in the building, to just the everyday you know items out of concession stands and the kitchens in the in area. Just it was. It was rewarding, but it was kind of heartbreaking at the same time. But like I said, for me professionally, that probably was the, the most rewarding you know, 10 plus years or so. Going to the Mighty Ducks here again, you know, 15 years, and I got to to work and, and walk around the historic Cincinnati Garden was, was by far and away the best of my career.
0: I remember the uh, Commandos Cincinnati. I remember they won all three <laughs> championships all three years. And I was hoping it was they very could- good, yeah. I was hoping they'd be back when I started broadcasting Dayton Sharks football, but it wasn't meant to be. So
1: uh I Yeah, that was unfortunate. That was that one year window there where I know the first of the Cincinnati commanders were very excited that there was gonna be a Dayton team there and to try and, and get that little rivalry going and unfortunately the ownership group wasn't very stable in, in that level of sports and because of that um it was like you said, not meant to be, unfortunately. But you're right; they, they did. They won the three years that they operated. They won the the championship each and every year that they were there. I did did the PA for them. It was it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I remember going to one game, and it was against the Marion Blue Racers. That was a lot of fun to be <laughs> part of.
1: And it might have been about a hundred degrees inside there too. Yeah, <laughs> so. it was
0: it was a little toasty, but hey, it was all right. We had indoor football, so I forgot all yeah, about it, the Kings being indoor. Uh, soccer,
1: too. Yeah, the Kings played, I think, for two years. Um, and it was, again, just the, the unstableness of ownership with, with, with these small minor leagues, minor league leagues. They just, there's no, not a lot of financial stability with it. And, and they're operating on shoestring budgets and they're operating on the fact that you've got, um, if you're not attracting fans to come to the games, yeah, it, it really makes it hard to operate. So unfortunately those are kind of short lived opportunities and, and I know Hara Arena had had some similar similar situations with some of the pro hockey teams they tried during the final years.
0: Yeah, it's it's eerie how similar the stories of Hara and the gardens are.
1: Oh incredibly <laughs> parallel. I mean, I think they I mean yeah, uh, the Cincinnati Gardens was opened at forty nine I think Hera Arena opened in like, what, fifty five or fifty six, I think.
0: Yeah. And yeah,
1: something like that. And 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 I know Hera hadn't been operating after the tornadoes hit it last year, but I think that almost made it kind of a little bit more sad that it was an abandoned arena that got hit by a tornado and, and seeing those pictures even right after the tornado, but even now, just it's it's depressing. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, and seeing uh, I forget when it was, but seeing channel two and channel seven rummage through hair arena after it closed and just seeing all the damages and the, you know, the, just the debris and everything. Yeah.
1: Just... I can hear it in your voice. Trust me. I, yeah. I went through that watching the, the gardens close and the gardens was open for another Well, It was, it stood ap- after we officially closed it and the, uh, the, the Port Authority of Greater Cincinnati was the group that bought it, and, and they bought it with the idea that they were going to, to take it down and, and then use the land that the building stood on to, to build small industrial businesses. Uh, you know, it, it was it was hard to argue progress at that time when we couldn't really keep anything going to to keep the, the gardens operating. Yeah, you know, outside of the Cincinnati Roller Girls, the other event that really was was going on there, there was there was probably a great opportunity for a lot of kids playing hockey. In Cincinnati was high school hockey. We had high school and youth hockey being you know, played at Cincinnati Gardens, and, and so many kids. And even today, I'll see some posts through the the Gardens Facebook page, you know, of kids who will remember, you know, high school age kids who are you know now graduating from college that will say that was the greatest experience that they got to the, to skate on the Cincinnati Gardens ice and and play a high school hockey game at the Cincinnati Gardens that you know had so many wonderful events and memories over its sixty plus almost seventy years of operating.
0: I can remember when it was announced the gardens would close and then the high school hockey teams were wondering what's gonna happen <laughs> next. Luckily Northland and Sports Plus were there, so I believe well, all the teams found a home, but it's it They it did. It was still a sad day. Well,
1: you, yeah, and I know you did work with, with Centerville uh, High School hockey, and, and the fact that you know, all the Cincinnati teams that were calling the Gardens home at that point either went to to Northland, where I think Moeller High School went to, and uh, I want to say La, LaSalle, I think played there, and I think Elder and Saint Xavier High School went over to Sports Plus and Indian Hill Hockey of uh, the, the Indian Hill Winter Club. You know, had a couple of teams to skate there as well. So so all the teams were able to find homes. But what it did do, unfortunately, was it just it was two less sheets of, of ice yep. in greater Cincinnati. So I think that there's a lot of, of youth age kids who, you know, maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, who maybe quit playing hockey because it wasn't convenient. There just wasn't enough ice time. And so that's, that's one of the unfortunate parts. You know, as you look at the youth hockey, maybe not as much high school hockey, but youth hockey, but that was most definitely a casualty of, of the Garden's closing.
0: It's a shame, too. And I, I hope one day the Cyclones decide building more rinks is something that's beneficial. I mean, like the, the well, the chill back then, in Columbus, and the fuel. Uh, they built a couple of fuel tanks in Indianapolis. I, I hope there's something like that in the pipeline for Cincinnati. I don't know if there ever will be, but... That's my dream.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and unfortunately, and certainly no disrespect to the folks at, at what used to be U.S. Bank Arena, now Heritage Bank Center, Riverfront Coliseum, whatever you want to call it, yeah. the, the, the folks that, that own that building are not local. They're, they're not Cincinnati. And so the the Cyclones themselves are are technically not locally owned. The group is out of the Detroit area. And, and again, no disrespect to it whatsoever. I mean, it's, it's a business, and and they're doing the best they can. fits Fitzhugh, who does the radio for the Cyclones, another Bowling Green alum, by the way. Yep. Um, great guy. He, uh, he, he does a fantastic job with, with what he has to work with down there. And the Cyclones do a great job, but unfortunately, you know, unlike what you see in, in NHL markets, like what the Blue Jackets have done in Columbus, the Cyclones haven't really done a, a, a great job at promoting youth hockey. Now, they, they will promote... The kids coming to watch their hockey, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily relating to getting the kids actually on the ice and playing, and and that's what the sport in this part of the country, this part of the world needs: our kids to actually play it. Because once you go and watch a hockey game, there's nothing like it. TV and even for me, <laughs> broadcasting radio doesn't do it justice. Although you and I try to, to do it justice.
0: Oh yeah,
1: actually being at the game itself, and whether it's it's a youth hockey and watching your nine-year-old kids skating around out there or at high school or you know, even BCHL like the Cyclones or college hockey like the Miami Redhawks. It's so much better to be at the event itself and, and to watch it. And that's, that to me is, I, I hope, like you said, you I mean, I hope that somehow or another that the youth hockey can get another sheet or two of ice built in Cincinnati to, to help grow the sport a little bit more because I think, you know, the, the sport's going to miss some good athletes, and, and lacrosse is one of those sports right now that are starting to suck up a lot of these young athletes, and these kids are going out and playing lacrosse, because it's essentially hockey on grass, and you know, it's it's fast-paced, it, it's moving, there's a, a lot of action, you score a lot of goals in it, and it's a great sport, it's a fun sport to watch. And the similarities of, of hockey and lacrosse, you know, to folks in Canada, that's, that's been known for years and years and years, but you know, those down here in Southwest Ohio and Cincinnati and the Dayton area, it's kind of just coming out to the forefront. And and if we don't get some more rinks built for hockey, we're going to lose a generation of of hockey athletes that that may have a chance to to move on and play at a higher level.
0: And it's a shame, but again, here's hoping that <laughs> it's decided upon.
1: Now let's swing exactly. over. What now? So I was saying, exactly. No, you, you you could not be more right. Exactly.
0: Now let's swing over to the college side of things. How did you wind up with the Red Hawks team in Miami?
1: Well, that's, again, similar to the the way that I was able to get in with the Dayton Bombers all those years ago with my connection, Larry Hansgen. The the Bombers back in the days. For a short time, we actually broadcast on on WHIO 1290 WHIO, mm-hmm. and Larry knew that I had been a hockey guy when I had gone to Bowling Green. In fact, I think Larry's also a Bowling Green guy, if I'm not mistaken. I think no, no, he, he is. Oh, I mean, you know what? I thought he was. Like, I know. I mean, I, I think he is. You know, and, and I think he's just been a. Broadcasting UD now he's he's got more of that that UD blood in him than he does Bowling Green, but um, so so similar to me getting the, the job doing the bombers, the same thing happened with Miami University, and this this dates back to when I was working at Clear Channel Cincinnati, and in one of the, the many hats that I was wearing, I got to be the, the halftime studio host for Miami University football games mm-hmm. that were. Uh, the, the Miami Sports Network, led by Steve Baker, who I know you've had Bake on with you as well, yep. wonderful dude, and mm-hmm. probably the the hardest-working guy, without a doubt, in Southwest Ohio in, in sports broadcasting. He was uh, doing the, the football games, and they needed somebody to do the halftime, the, the pregame shows and the halftime show for Miami football. And they were on a network that was run out of the studio's in Cincinnati at Clear Channel. It was on thirteen sixty Homer at the time. And so I was the studio host for the football games during oh gosh for two or three years. And when Miami got the chance to expand broadcasting and, and broadcast some more games on television, the radio guy from back then was his name was Dave Allen, was gonna make the move to to do the T V broadcast that opened up the void for the radio side because I had worked with Steve Baker doing the the broadcasting of the studio host for football. He knew I had a hockey background, so he calls and said, hey, would you be interested? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? That'd be a lot of fun. It was at that time for me. This was back in 2006, and that date kind of <laughs> kind of ironic because um, would Baker asked me to do that. I started the 2006-2007 season doing Miami hockey. I did the hockey for about a month, and then I got laid off from Clear Channel Cincinnati. And so that that opened up the opportunity to continue doing the the Miami hockey games. It freed up my schedule, so I wasn't going to be missing shifts or working at Clear Channel Cincinnati. And that opened up the opportunity to also work at Cincinnati Gardens so I kind of was able to, thankfully, because of Pete Robinson at the Gardens, combine my full-time job at Cincinnati Gardens with doing Miami hockey. And when I started doing Miami hockey in, in 2006, I had no idea that I would be doing it as long as I have. And it was just kind of another job to do at the time. Um, I, and, and I'll readily admit this now, and, and I hate that I didn't give it my full attention those first couple of years because at that point to me, I'm like, okay, college hockey, Who who's really following college hockey? I had no idea the, the fan base that college hockey had, and, and especially Miami Redhawks had. I also, like the Dayton Bombers, and, and some really weird parallels, my first year with the Dayton Bombers was the first year that they started broadcasting in the Nutter Center, or, or playing in the Nutter Center. So I was with the Bombers their first year at the Nutter Center. Miami – had built a brand new ice rink on campus that opened. And I was the very first year broadcasting Miami hockey in the new building. I I had broadcast some some games along the way when I was at Bowling Green in the old building. And it had helped do a couple of broadcasts here and there along the way, but at, at the old Goggin arena, but it was just timing was absolutely right to open up the new building. But I, I wasn't taking it as seriously as, as I probably should have. But to me, it was, it was kind of like broadcasting high school football to where it was a very niche audience. And, and I prepared and I did the very best broadcast that I could, but I had no idea the scope of what Miami hockey was at that point or certainly in the next five to six years, what it was going to become. And it was just an absolute luck of timing. And I, and I told the, the coaches over there, Enrico Blasi, who was a long-time coach, and now Chris Bergeron, that timing is everything. And, and I just happened to be there as the Miami Hockey Program was climbing up in, in, in how well that they were playing, in the scope of their success. And I was there at the right time. And within three years, they made it to the, the Frozen Four, which is the Final Four for college hockey, and made it to the National Championship. And... So it it took me from that first 2006-2007 season until the 08-09 season when they made it into the national championship game for me to really realize the magnitude of what Miami hockey was. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And like I said, for for the Cincinnati Gardens being the most rewarding professional job, if if I throw in everything that I've ever done, broadcasting-wise for me, Miami hockey has been the absolute pinnacle of what I've been able to do. And I've, I've been there since the, the beginning of the 06 07 season. And, you know, hopefully, if, if things work out and we get back to some kind of sense of normalcy this fall, I'll be back uh, on the mic uh, for what I guess will be my 15th year doing Miami University hockey.
0: You know, not many broadcasters get to say they've opened up not one, but two <laughs> buildings <laughs> with the Bombers and the Red oh, yeah. Hawks. That's amazing
1: it is you know and, and i kind of had never really thought too much about it until just a couple of years ago somebody had asked me how long i'd been doing miami hockey and i started kind of think, i i just was there was never one of those ones that that kept track of, of how many games i had broadcast or or teams I'd worked for well i knew how many teams i'd worked for but you know how many different radio stations i'd been on or i i just it never dawned on me when I first started to kind of do that, and and I wish I would have now. And I've kind of tried to go back and, and recreate what it is. But it was only a few years ago that I started doing that, and, and, and that I realized the kind of the ironic nature of being the first year with with hockey at Nutter Center, and then also opening up the, the new Gog and Ice Center in Oxford for the Miami RedHawks. How kind of ironic!
0: It is now between yeah. your whole broadcasting career and this counts any sports and bombers and red hawks hockey and everything you saw at the gardens who's been some of your favorite games and favorite athletes to see
1: wow yeah that's uh, (laughs) um that that, 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 when you kind of sent me over a list of some things that we were going to talk about that was one thing that really stuck with me and and even to this point it's hard for me to kind of realize because i almost have to to break it down two different sports and some of the different things that, that I've been able to broadcast. But for a kid who, as, as I said, you know, grew up listening to Marty Greniman and, and listening to Reds games and, and Reds baseball is, is far and away my passion for, for sports, for any team, you know, the Reds are my absolute favorite. It, it would be the opportunity that I got that reunited the big red machine. And this would have been, I guess it was the 25th anniversary. So this would have been in, in 2000 and they got everybody back together. And it was right about the time where synergy field riverfront stadium was getting ready to close. they were getting ready to open up great American ballpark and they were going back reminiscing and, and bringing these teams back together. So I got to take the cover the events of the reunion of the big red machine and, and seeing Pete Rose and Johnny Bennett and Joe Morgan and Dick Kepzian and all those guys. On the field at Riverfront Stadium Synergy Field and, and getting a chance to interview Joe Morgan. My absolute favorite, though, and the one that, that probably star struck me the most of any broadcast interview that, that I've done, and that to, the, to up till now, would be the chance when I got to interview Sparky Anderson. And I just, I mean, it, it was just a dream come true because I, as a kid growing up watching the Big Red Machine and, and watching the Reds, and and knowing what Sparky Anderson means to Cincinnati Reds Baseball, that to me was was the pinnacle. And, and to this day, that is my absolute most favorite moment of, of getting a chance to actually interview Sparky Anderson. I got to meet Marty Burnham and, and sit in the booth with Marty Burnham and Joe Knoxall. I had a chance to meet and talk to Joe Knoxall many times. Um, never got a chance to meet Phil Sam from the Bengals. But I would say, you know, all the, all the people that I've met through Cincinnati sports, um, you know, all the – Different athletes, uh, and then going into the locker rooms and, and covering some of the athletes. Uh, covering when Ken Griffey Jr. came back to Cincinnati, uh, that was a lot of fun. You know, covering Barry Larkin in the locker room, uh, going over to the Bengals locker room, and and being part of the the mob of people around Chad Johnson's locker when he was making his predictions on on who he was going to torch that weekend and what defensive back he was going to beat. You know, I got to be in that. Bob of people, Chick Ludwig, longtime time Dayton Daily News guy. He was in there. And, and getting a chance to meet the sports writers and the broadcasters, you know, they both sit down in Dayton. That's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, If I look at, at the hockey level, um, when I worked in, in Saginaw, Michigan, several of the players that were on that team then went on to play the National Hockey League. In fact, one of the players that was there, and I remember talking to him many times on long road trips on the bus, was Bruce Cassidy. He's now the coach of the Boston Bruins who were in the Stanley Cup Finals a year ago. but you know he's he's somebody that that I got a chance to, to meet along the way. Um, the coach of the team in Saginaw when I was there, a guy named Daryl Sutter, who went on and coached in the National Hockey League and coached with the LA Kings when they won a Stanley Cup championship just a few years ago with a guy who played at Miami while I was there, scoring the game-winning goal, Alec Martinez. So the, the sports world makes for a, a very – as big as the sports world is, if you, like like you are, Lee, that, that are involved with the athletes and the coaches, because becomes kind of a small little community and you get to know these people. They might not remember me, you know, but I had a chance to work with them and, and be around them. So, you know, Alec Martinez, you know, that's a guy from Miami University, uh, Tommy Wingles is another guy uh, that, in fact, just announced his retirement a couple of days ago from from uh, Professional Hockey League. He's a guy that uh, had a lot of success. Uh, Sean Perali is in the NHL now, plays for the Boston Bruins, one of the nicest guys I've ever met in the world. Um, so, so a lot of those different athletes, broadcasters. Uh, There's almost too, too many to mention um, as far as an event broadcasting the national championship game for Miami hockey. The, uh, the, it was 2009 and Miami was playing Boston university had a three to one lead inside the final minute and a half of the game blew that lead. Boston university tied the game and inside the final 20 or 30 seconds, whatever it was, 15 seconds, I think it was, we went to overtime and lost the game in overtime. We were a minute away from winning the national championship and, and lost had. And, that far away is the most painful memory, but it's also probably the the best memory that I have of broadcasting, just because of the magnitude of the event itself. For being a championship at that level, that was absolutely amazing. So it was it was so much fun. But but just the people that you get to meet. Yeah, you know, there there are so many good people. I mean, knowing you, uh, you know, knowing uh, Don Helding in Cincinnati, John Walton. Uh, you know, these are the hockey guys that I got to meet, Steve. You know, Mitch, Steve Baker, and, and what a, a great influence he's been. Larry Hansgen you know, at, at HIO, you know, he's been there. I got, gosh, I think he's been there you know, since the mid 1980s at HIO. So you know, you're talking, you know, 35, 40 years that, that Larry Hansgen has been there and, and had the chance to, to meet and work with him. And Paul Keels, and and then even working at WLW, you know, got a chance to meet Jim Scott. And and when I worked at uh, at Wing in Dayton, I got to meet. Uh, Steve Kirk and when I worked at WHIO I got to meet Lou M and, and some of these broadcasting legends that are from yesteryear But uh, for me to, to narrow it down to anyone I, I don't think it is, is possible because I've been it's, it's kind of like being that fly on the wall in all these great places I was never anybody that that made it big but I was around all these people and, and I'm forever grateful for, for having the opportunities to, to be in the right place at the right time all these different times
0: I don't know. I mean, you worked in a ton of places around Cincinnati, Dayton. I I think that's making it big.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I'm very grateful. You know, for the opportunity. I would not trade it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you hear somebody like a Marty Brenneman who turned down opportunities to go and broadcast in Chicago or Los Angeles, or I never pursued that. I I was so consistently happy working in my neck of the woods, my hometown, whether it was in Dayton and doing the the different things that I got to do in Dayton or or then coming down to Cincinnati and, and broadcasting the different things for, for the, the mighty ducks and, and working at WLW. I think my dream was always to, to broadcast for the Reds and to work at 700 WLW. And I didn't work specifically for the Reds, but I worked at the flagship station of the Reds and, Got to host sports talk here in was Still in host. Got to to fill in occasionally on extra innings, you know, on the Red Network and rain delays and so. In weird ways, I, I was on the Red Network, you know, and never a mainstay, you know, never one of the main folks that were on there. But you know, I would do uh, I would do different storyline bit pieces for the Cincinnati Bengals radio networks. So, you know. that's, you know, that's a network that had 50 stations um, on different radio stations all over the state of Ohio. So I, I wouldn't say what, what I've had th- the opportunity to do. And then that goes also right down to to the local level and, and broadcasting high school sports. And you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with Moeller High School over the last oh, eight years, seven, eight years or so. I got to broadcast state championship baseball games for Moeller High School, state championship volleyball matches. State championship soccer, state championship lacrosse for Moeller High School and football. I never got to do the championship games because Miami hockey then kind of would start up and and I didn't get a chance to to do it. But I was on the broadcast during some couple of the the championship, state championship teams for Moeller earlier in the year. So, and and meeting all those people and the the coach that was at Moeller High School. Uh, John Rosenberg was a football coach and, and now Sean McGinnis is the the lacrosse coach and Mike Walker is the, the soccer coach and getting to know these guys, they're sports junkies like you and I are Lee and, and getting a chance to to see these guys excel where they're at. I get just as much thrill out of doing that as I did, you know, broadcasting on the Reds and Bengals network. And, and then also doing the national championship game for Miami hockey. So I think if you keep it all in perspective and, and appreciate what you have, and, and not hope for things that you don't have—not that they're unattainable, and not that you shouldn't have dreams—but appreciate what you do have and enjoy it while you're there. I I wouldn't change what I've done in, in my 25 years or so of broadcasting. I wouldn't change anything.
0: Now you also have a son who's working in the broadcasting field in Zach. <laughs> When did he want to be a broadcaster? And did any of your work kind of rub off on him?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and, and and I told him we we were going to bring this up, and, and he just he kind of laughed. So, so Zach is probably more of a behind the scenes guy. He, I, I'm not sure he'll he'll ever be on the microphone or, or or doing the broadcasting. He is is very very good at the production side of things, the behind the scenes stuff. He's he's very good at all this new technology. And and you and I have had a chance to work with Rob Ebel in Cincinnati for ESP Media. And and that's where I've been involved with Muller High School. And and he's expanded out to numerous other high schools around the the greater Cincinnati area and and up towards the Dayton area. And Zach had the opportunity as he has been going to, after he he graduated from high school and going to school at the University of Cincinnati, it was a part-time job for him to to help out on some of the broadcasts. So he's been more of a behind-the-scenes guy. Boy, uh, is it because of me? Oh, I would absolutely say definitely. It was a chance for him and I to work together on, on some of these broadcasts and, and be together. And and he's my producer for a lot of the high school games that we do. For, he was my producer for the the Moeller Soccer State Championship game two years ago. And he was my producer for the Moeller Lacrosse Championship game four years ago. And baseball games, he was my producer. And so it's it's been fun to combine that with him. Both he and my daughter, Madeline, have been coming to the press box with me. Zach is is just a crazy, lunatic hockey fan. And when he was little, he would come to the press box with me for Cincinnati Mighty Ducks games at Cincinnati Gardens. So to this day, because he grew up watching Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, his favorite NHL team is the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim, or the Anaheim Ducks now. Mm -hmm. And you know, anytime they come to Columbus, he's at Nationwide Arena going to, to watch the the Ducks play. And so it's kinda of funny how my passions and my jobs have rubbed off on him and, and I've been fortunate enough to, to take him on a few of the road trips with me. He went to uh, Detroit with me for the second frozen four that Miami University of hockey was in. We played at Ford Field in <laughs> In Detroit, the the football stadium wasn't necessarily the greatest hockey venue, but but it was was certainly an event. But he was at that event with me. Miami lost the the national semifinal that year. But uh, he went there with me. He uh, traveled and and actually did some work for Miami University doing some photography. When Miami Hockey played at Duluth, the University of Minnesota Duluth, he got to travel up there with me. Uh, Miami Hockey did an outdoor game at Soldier Field. He was in the press box with me for that game when we played the outdoor game at the football stadium. So he's had a chance to travel around with me, not to mention countless broadcasts. Um, you know, in Cincinnati or in Oxford. Uh, my daughter Madeline. You know, I've, I've brought her to the press box many, many times. She's pretty much grown up with me being the the broadcaster for Lambie hockey, and you know, she's the reason that I won't stop doing that because she loves going to the games <laughs> she's not in college yet but when, when she is you know she's always said she wants to go to miami university and that's because she's grown up going to miami university hockey games and sitting in the, the press box with me so that is probably while zach isn't necessarily going to be a broadcaster per se mm. the fact that i've been able to, to incorporate my job and let them be around that and experience it with me that as a father is, is the most rewarding thing that i've been able to, to give them to Include them on some of the road trips and, and some of the the different games and, and watching me broadcast the games.
0: Greg, what are some of your favorite things about sports in Southwest Ohio?
1: Oh boy, yeah, that's uh, yeah, you know, talking about it, you know, from the the passion that the people have for their high school sports, mm-hmm. the high school football and high school basketball uh, in this area is off the chart and. And since I've been working with Rob Ebel and, and, and branching out, broadcasting the other sports you know, from lacrosse and volleyball and soccer and girls' softball and, and all these different sports. The passion that people have for high school sports, the passion that they have for the amateur sports in general, you know, whether it's the little leagues, and, and you're, you're always going to have your overzealous parents. That happens, I'm sure, everywhere. Mm. But you know, watching the passion of, of the parents and the supporters of these teams, whether it be high school, whether it be college, you know, again, somebody like Larry Hansgen having done University of Dayton football and basketball for as long as he has done it, there's a passion about that. And, and the people just love their sport. And then that goes right up the chart, you know, and, and you're meeting your know, Dan Hort, who does University of Cincinnati and, and just absolutely phenomenal at, at broadcasting UC football, basketball, and UC for, uh Cincinnati Bengals. And that is just watching him juggle and the, be prepared for all of that. Uh, getting a chance to meet Marty and Joe and, and and then, you know, after that meeting, you know, the different broadcasters that come through with the Reds and, and Tom Brennan and Chris Welsh and George Grant and, and meeting those guys. And uh, yeah, that to me is, is a the favorite. We have passionate sports fans. We have major league sports around here and but yet we're in this small-town environment in both Cincinnati and Dayton that has given me that opportunity to be around these people and, and to meet all these wonderful people. That, to me, is, is probably why I love this this area and why I think I've been content to be able to be around this area as long as I have and, and kind of keep my foot in the water of being able to do all these things and, and meet all these people. So for, for that being the the, the one reason, it, it, I would say it's the passion of, of the sport's that we have in, in Cincinnati and Dayton, Southwest Ohio.
0: Now, what would you like to see in the future of Southwest Ohio sports and media?
1: That's a great question. You know, um, yeah, I, I think technology has kind of taken things in, in a very different way from when I first started, and you know, I can remember, you know, my, my very first radio job, you know, way back in the '80s, being the the board op for Middletown High School football games mm-hmm. that and even actually Miami University football as well, uh, and, and them broadcasting the games and, and using the phone coupler that, you know, that they would connect to the radio station and, and I would have to get on the phone and talk to them during the commercial and, and tell them when the, the commercial was going to be over. And the technology that, that has, has made things, I think, a lot easier for people to listen. And it is, has it afforded people the opportunity like yourself to get into the broadcasting field and I'm, I'm one of those people that i am so appreciative of the opportunities that i've had and the people that i've met but i want to pass that on to to the younger broadcasters that meet like yourself um, nick brunker who did cyclone games for a number of years in cincinnati um to to ever Fitzhugh, you uh you know, to, to any of the people that that i've met students that i've met at miami university there's a, a young man right now who just finished up his freshman year, he is the son of the the Miami equipment manager, Andy Geschen. This uh, this young man's name is Patrick Geschen. He's a lot like I was when I was 18, 19 years old, wanting to get into broadcasting, a lot like you are, like Nick Brunker is. I see that in him. So I try to help him out and, and put him on the air whenever I can and, and to give these kids the opportunity. And the technology, I think, has really – made that opportunity even more so. And so you're seeing a lot more outlets for being able to broadcast the games. That doesn't mean we're going to be the next Marty Brunvan or you know the, the next Dan Horde or you know Paul Keel or Larry Hansey, because there, there's a difference between broadcasting a game online and broadcasting a game over the air radio. And I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on how the technology has gone with that. While I like to see the opportunity, for people to be able to broadcast these games. And I'm happy for the fans themselves that have the outlets and the athletes, the kids themselves, to have their games broadcast like Rob Evil has done at ESP Media and done it in a professional way. You know, with with Richard Skinner, who you is know, a longtime Cincinnati radio personality, one of the two angry guys. He, he's been broadcasting Princeton High School football in the last few years. And my son, Zach, is the producer for Richard Skinner and his football broadcast. You know, to, to have that Internet outlet is a good thing, but at the, at the same token, I, I don't know if, if that gives the the proper outlet for some of these young aspiring broadcasters to catch that break because now it's almost watered it down a little bit too much to where there's anybody and their brother is, is trying to be a broadcaster. And, you know, you, know, you, get, you get the former high school athletes that are going to come in and, and try to do – you know, do the color, or maybe even do the play-by-play, and they get in there and they find out, hey, that's not so easy to do. They're <laughs> you know, doing play-by-play for a sport, especially something like hockey that, that's so fast-moving, or basketball, or lacrosse. You better know what you're talking about. You better know the game. You better know the athletes, and so yeah, it, it's kind of a mixed reaction on you know, what I want to see as far as you know, the the sports broadcasting goes. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it's great that we have all these outlets and these these opportunities for these young broadcasters to get on there. I just don't don't want it to be a situation where some of these people get the wrong idea and, and think that they're going to be the next Marty Burnham. And it goes back to kind of what I was saying before, and being appreciative of, uh, of the opportunity that you have in front of you, and, and enjoying it, and giving it your full 100% commitment by preparing, by over preparing, by having too much information, when you're getting ready to broadcast a game, it, it's better to have too much and not be able to use some of the information that you have than not have enough. And so with, with some of these very informal means of broadcasting over the air, some of them sound like they're they're very informal. And so it's a very fine line between giving the opportunity for a, somebody that wants to be a broadcaster and just anybody that can turn on a microphone and turn on a camera and start saying – you know, there goes number eight up the field. He's got the ball, and he kicks it, and it's into the net, score, and, and not showing any passion or emotion in it. So I, I hope that you know, somewhere along the way that those things kind of even themselves out a little bit. But but I think it, the fact that technology has, has made that more apparent for a lot of people, that is overall, that's a very, very good thing. And who knows? You have the very next Marty Brenneman could be – Sitting out there right now, the you know ten-year-old fan of watching you know a little league baseball game or playing in a little league baseball game, but knowing that they're not going to make it to the major leagues, or they will be the next Dan Horde that that is a multifaceted broadcaster that can do a football game and a basketball game in the same day, and or be able to do a lacrosse or a volleyball game, or you know, I, I've even done PA for indie car racing down at Kentucky Speedway. I, I had the opportunity to do that and you know i've you know, done pa for many games so you have to be willing to to do whatever chance or whatever opportunities out there and lee i know you are absolutely wonderful doing that you'll you'll sap up any opportunity that you get and, and you put your whole heart into it i hope that there's other young kids that might listen to this that do the same thing and prepare and over prepare the same way
0: absolutely i mean i i I get your point about the oversaturation of opportunities, and I, I have listened to a broadcast where it's like, number eight kicks it, number five kicks it. Oh, it's in the back of the net. I've listened to that, and it's uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, what, what can I say? But, uh, I mean, ESP Media for me has been a great opportunity. It's given me a chance yep. to broadcast in Cincinnati for uh, Loveland Tigers football. I enjoyed that immensely last year. Yeah, the Tigers went zero and ten, but I don't care. I got to broadcast high school <laughs> football, so I was, I was happy. So hopefully, I get another chance uh, this year, because uh, you know I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, you know we have high school football, but uh, yeah, I yeah, that's the big thing. It's I there's a lot of opportunities that I've had, and I appreciate all of them. And it's
1: it's been one that's wild right ride. Out, I mean one wide ride yeah that, that's that would be probably <laughs> the easiest way to sum up my career as well and then the fact that you have that kind of an attitude that is going to benefit you in the long run yeah and your your youngness business getting started to to, to be able to, to make the connections that you're making to to know the people that that again comes back to me that, that's that been the best part of, of all my years of broadcasting are the people that I met and <laughs> And I, I'm gonna have to sit down one of these days and figure out exactly, you know, how many, you know, different broadcasts I've done over the years. I know I, I figured out a list just over the last few years. Just Miami hockey over the years I've been there. I've broadcast over 500 wow. Miami hockey games. I, I think it finished up in the five and teams somewhere this year. But but and then I started going back and trying to figure out all the places that I've got to go and, and the. I mean, not only the people that I've gotten to meet, but the places because of, my, of mostly Miami hockey I've gotten to go to. I, I went up to Fairbanks, Alaska, five different times. I never would have gone to Alaska in my lifetime, more than likely. Much less gone to Alaska in January and February when it's thirty <laughs> below zero <laughs> and, and, and broadcast hockey. But I mean, just I mean a wonderful opportunity to travel. And and I I want to say you know, that, that I, I looked it up and can't find the list, but I think I'm getting close to 80 different hockey venues that I've broadcast in in my career between the Saginaw Hawks, the Dayton Bombers, the Cincinnati Cyclones, the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks, and then the Miami Redhawks, and, and then all the different teams that we played against. I think I played against – I broadcast over 200 different hockey teams – and in almost 80 different venues, and that includes NHL rinks and includes a couple football stadiums. <laughs> and so, you know, broadcasting <laughs> hockey games. So, yeah, never in my wildest of imagination would I have ever thought that, you know, when, when I first started, that was my hopes and dreams. But, you know, the reality, the realist in you is like, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I'll make it there, but I probably will never be Marty Burnham and get a chance to to travel around and and do all these different places. I think I've been to 42 of the 50 states, you know, and a lot of that is because of broadcasting and, and getting a chance to travel all over. And so the people that you meet and the places you get to see, man, if, if you enjoy what you're doing, when you're doing it, it it'll be a blast. And, and don't ever just wish that you you had something that you don't enjoy what you have right now. And hopefully, you know, that, that dream will continue. And you'll get that next step and get that chance to go to that next level. And, and get to, to that major league baseball stadium or that NFL football stadium, or, you know, the MLS soccer stadium, you know, I broadcast more soccer, you know, at Matt free stadium in, in Columbus, you know, at, at MLS stadium. And, you know, it's I broadcast more baseball and, and a couple other high school baseball games at great American ballpark and, and done PA at great American ballpark. And so, yeah, it's, enjoy it you know there's there's so many different things that you could do out there and swipe it up and you you can have a blast doing it especially if you're a fan of sports you get to to see all these sports for free
0: you kind of touched up on this next question but for those that are interested in becoming broadcasters what's the best advice you can share
1: yeah i mean i i think i would just kind of reiterate it again you know it it is most definitely 100% take up any opportunity that you can't never think that you're too good to, to do a job. You know, if, if you're asked, and, and I'm saying, you know, if you're a high school age kid and maybe even a college age kid, and they ask you to do PA and, and your dreams are to do major league baseball, but they ask you to do PA, a PA for a little league baseball game or a little league peewee football or girls softball or something. Don't ever say no. I mean, take that chance to, to to be the very best that you can and learn from it, because the people that you meet, you, you never know who you're going to meet at one of those games. And, and my perfect my perfect point is I was doing PA for the Crosstown Showdown, the high school football mm-hmm. thing that they have down in Cincinnati, the Skyline Chile Crosstown Showdown. Um, I, Tom Gamble and Richard Skinner, the two angry guys, Tom Gamble's company runs the Crosstown Showdown, one of his other jobs. And so he used me to do PA for high school football games. But they were doing these high school football games at different venues around Cincinnati Well, it just so happened I was doing PA for the Crosstown Showdown, ironically for the Middletown Middies <laughs> versus the Moeller Crusaders. Hmm. And while I was doing that game, there was a guy named Rob Ebel that was getting ready to broadcast the Moeller football game against Middletown. Jeff Schneedle and Rob Ebel were going to broadcast more football games. And I was there setting up before the game, as he was, and we got to talking. And he's like, hey, and he recognized me from having worked at 700 and 1530, you know, 15, ESPN 1530 and 1530 Homer and whatever other names they used. He, he knew me from that. So we got to talking, and he's like, hey, if you ever want to do some broadcasting for me, I'd love to have you. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And that got me into to working with ESP Media. And, and from that, I got to broadcast lacrosse and soccer and volleyball, things that I never – and did some molar some basketball – you know, a handful of molar basketball games when it didn't conflict with Miami hockey. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's You never know who you're going to meet when you're doing one of these events. There could be the father of one of the kids that are playing could be – a major league baseball player, or it could be somebody that works at a radio station and you happen to be doing PA for this little league game, do it your absolute best. Give the, the athletes deserve your respect for, for doing it in, in a big league kind of a way, even though it's not the big leagues. And because of that, you never know who you might meet. And it could be a mother or a father or one of the kids, or it could be somebody that works at the facility that you happen to be at that knows somebody. And, The one thing that that I found in broadcasting, and I think I've come back to this several times, is the people that you meet. I've met so many good people. I have met far and away 99% of the people that I've met in broadcasting are great people. There's always going to be that one bad apple somewhere along the way, but the people that you meet, and and you just never know where that next person is going to be, that next person who could give you your big break. So do the very best that you can do. And whatever event it is, don't ever say no. You know, if it's, you might not get paid. you might have to volunteer your time sometime. Or they might pay you a hot dog and a drink. And <laughs> just, if you love sports, go and do it. And, and you never know what can happen. You, you might be the next Marty Burnivan. You might be the next, you know, George Grand or Dan Hort or whoever, or Larry or whoever it is, Steve Baker. You just never know.
0: Uh, you mentioned Tom uh, Gamble. Uh, he also helps run the Reds High School's Futures Showcase, and they have some baseball games at Wright State, and I got to PA those for. Oh, when did I start? I don't. Know. Uh, it's been a few seasons, but I always enjoy that, uh, especially when it's up at Wright State, just because I get to PA all those, and it's a lot of fun. He does. Yeah. He does great work.
1: Oh, he does wonderful work, and and, and he's what he's doing is for the athletes themselves. And and obviously the the parents get to piggyback off that to watch their kids, but they're getting a chance to, you know, in in some cases, play in a college on a college facility where there might be a college coach watching you play. And, you know, his, his mindset is to to give these kids a a big league type of experience, you know, a a very large, but in life experience, it's when they're playing on your home high school football field when you get to go and play at a different Stadium or, or play, you know, at Yeager Stadium in Oxford or, or Welcome Stadium or you know, even sometimes they played at Paul Brown Stadium, you know, in, in Cincinnati, play on the or at Great American Ballpark. You know, you, you get a chance to play. And then yeah, and like you, I have done done baseball events for Tom Gamble as well, and that was where I did the PA at the American ballpark for high school baseball. And so you know Tom Giebel's another one of these guys that You never know where he's going to be, and if you're you're an up-and-coming broadcaster that wants to to do some things, Tom's a great guy to know out of all this because he's got a lot of of events, although, unfortunately, COVID-19 ended the baseball, the high school baseball season this year. We didn't get to do the baseball event this year. I I haven't talked to Tom. I'm not sure what's happening with football, and I'm guessing that that is probably right now built on uh, definitely a – pile of sand <laughs> it, it is not going to be anything that is built in stone that's for sure right now i i mean that
0: i miss doing the baseball games because this year's Miami'sburg was supposed to battle springboro and i think beaver creek had uh did they have kettering fairmont i think uh but yeah i always miss those and i need to send them an email say hi but that's that's neither here nor there
1: so, <laughs> well, hopefully you'll listen to this and you can say hi on the air so well,
0: Hello, Tom. I, I'm going to send you an email saying hello.
1: Call him Chief. He loves to be called Chief, or Ralph. Chief. What's up, Chief? How you doing, Ralph? Uh, yeah. Is, is, <laughs> that, he actually, he,
0: is that actually love it, or he hates it? It's like, ugh.
1: No, he. That's, honestly, that's what he calls everybody. But I think he knows so many people that sometimes he forgets who he's talking to or if he remembers their name, so I'm probably spilling a secret. He's never told me that's the reason why, but they'll call you Chief or ralph or fred or some other goofy name it's a term of endearment if Tom if gamble calls you chief you're in with him so let's put the, it that way
0: there's worse names there are worse names
1: 100 <laughs> there's most definitely a lot worse than you can be called there's no doubt about that
0: how can people follow your work and you on social media
1: Oh uh, yeah, you know, I'm. I, I guess I'm one of those OGs. I think that's what you call me now. Uh, I, I, I do have Twitter. <laughs> so I, I do have Twitter. Um, I, I, I got to look it up. I think it is at G underscore W-A-D-D, G-W-O-D. G-W-O-D. So I think <laughs> is. I think that's better. That I'm not overly active on it. I mean, I, I'll retweet some things here or there that I find interesting sports wise. I, I just. It, it, it's I, I I think I'm just at that wrong generation to, to use myself in, in the marketing way. That's that's what it's set up to do. And even though my my buddy Lisa Braun is, is wonderful at that, and we're you know we come out of a bowling green at the same time, she's way more in depth at, at that than am I. I. I've got Facebook, you know, it's more geared family stuff. I don't do a whole lot of you know promoting myself on that as well. So social media wise. I'm probably not anywhere near what I should be. Hockey season, I, I might get a little bit more active. I'll, I'll do a lot of retweeting with um, you know, some of the things going on with Miami University hockey. And, and occasionally, I'll even create my own tweet. But I don't know. I, I, I think what I have to say, I'd do it better saying it than than writing it. And one of the 280 characters, I'm not quite as good at that.
0: Greg, thank you for your time. It's been a lot of fun talking to you.
1: Yeah, it's, Lee, I, I greatly appreciate it. You know, it's 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 been weird to go back and think of a, of my career over all these years and, and the opportunities that I've had, and to to go back and, and there's a lot of things that I've forgotten along the way too. I mean, it's just and, and talking to you just kind of triggered up a whole lot of fun memories of things that I've forgotten of, of being a DJ on a smooth jazz station. I <laughs> said I was a, a DJ on a nostalgic station i was even more out of my element trying to do smooth jazz i didn't know anything about that but dj doing classic rock radio i've cut commercials you know i've done news i've done traffic i've been i got a chance to ride in helicopters you know doing traffic reports and so i've done a little bit of everything and you know i look back on it it's it's been a lot of fun and, and i wish the same for you i hope you get the same opportunities and and meet those people and get those chances to to spread your wings and and do a lot of different fun things in broadcasting because I haven't necessarily gotten rich doing it, but I have absolutely loved every last minute of doing it and people that I've met, and you're another one of those people. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Lee.
0: No problem, Greg. That will wrap up Episode 161 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast with Greg Waddell, and we'll talk to you again for Episode 162. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to the podcast, please visit the slash podcasts. From there, you can choose your favorite platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and many more. Interact with the podcast and host on Twitter at theleewmowen.com and at Synday pod like the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast and download the free flick chat app. Then search for the local Sunday sports group to submit your future Mowins mailbag questions. The closing theme is lights go down by Dan Hennig provided by the YouTube music library collection. This is Lee W. Malin. And I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please join me again next week on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast.